Welcome to another exciting episode of Patanjali Yoga Sutra Commentaries by respected Dr. Chinmay Pandya. Each episode delves deep into a selected set of sutras, so be sure to follow along and remember to revisit any episode you may have missed. We hope you enjoy and do stay connected with DSVV by following our Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter pages using the handle at DSVVOfficial. Pranams to everyone from Shantikunj Deva Sanskriti Vishwadhyaya Haridwar. Let us start with the recitation of the Gayatri Mantra. Gayatri, as the Shatpat Brahman says, Gayana Pranana Trayatesa Gayatri. The power that protects the prana and takes us to the righteous path, that power is the Gayatri. She is the cornerstone of Indian wisdom traditions, the foundation of the Vedic spirituality and assists us to take the righteous path in the life. Not the one that we seek and desire, but the path that is right for a sadhak to take, the path that is right for a yogi to take. And that path is the path of wisdom. We are here because of an end product of endless karma that we have done in the lives before and we had many encounters before. Many relationships were created, many karmic imprints were created and until unless they are purified, until unless that darkness that we are carrying inside us, it's embellished, refined, modified and, and leads to a purified life, there could be no salvation. The liberation takes place only if we are able to change it from within. As says a Sanskrit saying, inner regulates outer being. Outside are the manifestations, our social life, our outward life, power, position, prosperity, money, happiness, that we seek from the world, anything that is around me. That is only a manifestation of the karma that we have done in the lives before and doing it right now. And purification of those karma, their vipak, their ashay, is the purpose of the Gayatri Mantra. So let us start with the recitation of the Gayatri Mantra together. Again, we are starting now the second chapter of the Patanjali's Yoga Sutra, Sadhanapada. And it starts with a wonderful question that is asked by the translator or one of the commentators, Vyas. Because if you look at the summary of the chapter 1, it is called Samadhipada. 
and it is called Samadhi path because Patanjali is pointing towards the end product, the outcome of any yogic effort. If I am walking on that path, then what should I get? And what I get is the Samadhi, Samapatte, he says, Kshinavritte, Abhijatasya Mevamane, Grihita Grihena Grahiyeshu, Tatasthat Anjanat Samapatte. That once the person's mind becomes absolutely absorbed, completely silent, balanced, there is no distraction, there is no oscillation, there is no interruption, no antaraya are there, there is no vikshep in the chitta. Then what happens is that chitta reaches to a state that is called samapatte. Samapatte comes from a Sanskrit word called Samahita Chitta, where Chitta has been completely absorbed into its object of interest. Object of interest is the Divine Consciousness. So once it has absorbed completely into it, it is called Samapatte. And that kind of state, Patanjali says in the chapter 1, is easier for those people to attain who already have got the Vairag in their life, they are already at the advanced level. These are the people who have reached to a peculiar state in the previous lives. They already have been practicing the yoga in the lives before. So it was easier for them to reach to a state where there is no craving taking place inside for them to reach to any sensual pleasure, anything that would occupy and engage their interest. So their chitta becomes easily established, it becomes easily calm, easily stable, easily balanced, easily in a state of equipoise. Like Lord Krishna is saying in the chapter 2 of the Gita, he says, Yogastha Kuru Karmani Sangam Tvaktva Dhananjaya Siddha Siddhyo Samabhutva Samattam Yoguchyate. He says the true yoga is taking place. If person is balanced inside and he has got harmony all around him, he is absolutely calm, calm like a sea. Nothing that would ever approach him would be able to disturb him, perturb him, would be able to deviate him from his path. And those kind of people he talked about in the chapter 1. He said they are at the advanced level. For them, chapter 2 is of no importance and no significance. That's why soon after describing the yoga in vrittis, he says abhyas vairagya abhyam tannirodha that if you already have got the vairag, if you already have reached to a state where you are not passionate about the things that would crave any other person, then only thing that you need is the practice. And he keeps talking about different practices in the chapter 1. Either you take the path of abhyas or you take the path of shraddha, virde, smriti or you take the path of Ishwar Pradhan, or you take the path of Parikarma, Maitre, Karuna, Mudita, Upeksha, Vitarag, Vishayachitta, all that that he talked about up to the verse 39 of the chapter 1 are nothing but different practices needed for those people who have already reached to a state where their mind or their chitta or their inside, their inner being, Antahakaran, could easily find a state of calmness. They are already absorbed into their object of interest. So ask the question, Vyas. He says, not everyone is like them. 
what happens to them katham vyuthitta chittope he says talk about those people who have got freakly state of mind what should they do is there anything for them so then patanjali gives the answer he says yes this chapter is for them and these people who cannot easily attain a state of calmness they need more action oriented approach they need more kriya they need more techniques that's why this chapter is called sadhan pad sadhan means techniques tools ways processes so they need more oh, i cannot understand only by a concept so they say okay tell us about the applications tell us about the practical you go to a, a any kind of syllabus or any kind of curriculum some people can only understand with the concept they can completely understand if the theory has been explained to them they can understand the theory its practical implications they can understand the the applied aspect of it they know how to do it and some people need to see to do it they need to see that how this is being done and then only i would be able to understand some people can understand only by like you know the sight of it there comes a very uh, famous story of bach and uh, he created a symphony at a very young age of uh, like 6 years old and then he became old he started to create more symphonies one person approached him and he said how did you do it he said if i want to write a symphony what should i do he said go to a music school and then learn there for like 10 years 12 years maybe one day you would be able to write a symphony he said but you wrote it at the age of 6 he said but i never went to a person to ask that how should i write a symphony it came naturally so they are those people for whom the chapter 1 was written now there are people who vyas calls them as the madhyam seekers they are the medium level advanced level was talked about in the chapter 1 samadhi yoga now comes the first one and they are the medium level seekers he said for them more action oriented approach is needed that he calls as the kriya yoga so the first verse that comes is tap swadhyay ishwar pradhanane kriya yoga tap many people translate tap as austerity but let's talk about that swadhyay again people talk about reading good books but then we will talk about it ishwar pradhan we talked about in chapter 1 all three together consist kriya yoga kriya eva yoga kriya yoga whatever is based on the action and kriya is called kriya yoga vyas defines it so all three practices that are there they need to be done if you remember from the chapter 1 most of the practices there they do not require action they require more contemplation if i am doing shraddha it's a devotion if i am doing ishwar pranadhan it's my surrender to the divine if i am doing concentration like uh, vishayavate then it is more like tratak then also i am focusing upon a object but none of them require action here all three practices that he talk about are action oriented so that's where the chapter 2 starts it starts by talking about those people 
who are medium level seekers and those who would still struggle to understand they are hearing the term yoga for the first time they have got no clue what is being talked about they came to this classroom by mistake for them patanjali would give ashtanga yoga yam niyam asan pranayam pratyahara dharana dhyan samadhi for the advanced level seekers samadhi yoga is there abhyas and vairagya for the medium level seekers what we are talking about right now kriya yoga and for the beginners ashtanga yoga is there they need to start with the niyam they need to start with much more basic level of discipline and for the medium level seeker is the kriya yoga is there now how to define each of them first comes the tapa idea of the tapa is to discipline oneself or one's sensory organs in such a manner that their energy could be channelized for a righteous purpose now it's a very thin line very thin line because moment it comes to our mind to discipline something we tend to use a much more aggressive action if i was eating next day i would like to fast for 10 days that's not the balanced approach tap is in the balance in between it's to the extent where we are disciplining ourselves but without punishing ourselves people usually tend to reach to a state where they start to become much more self punisher and that's why he uses a very beautiful definition vyas he says atapasvinah yogah na siddhate the person who is unable to do tapasya for him yoga can never take place forget about it if you are unable to do tapasya if you are unable to channelize your energy in the right direction forget about it do something else there are so many other disciplines that you can read but don't come to the class of yoga class of yoga belongs to those who have got the courage to discipline their sensual organs especially the senses which have a tendency to deviate towards the objects of momentarily pleasure they give a satisfaction for time being but then at the end they only return pain and suffering to the person so the idea of the tapasya is to channelize our urja channelize our energy to the right direction without sanyam without discipline it would be impossible there comes a very uh, famous story disciples of a saint approached him and they said that uh, what does it mean by sanyam what does it mean by tapasya so he said okay i will show it to you so he got two buckets one bucket was empty another was filled with water and then he got a kind of jar that jar had nothing no bottom so it was just empty and then he was taking this jar to fill the water from the the complete bucket and then he was trying to actually fill the another one disciples were looking confused they said what are you doing like you know it's not possible to fill this there is no no bottom 
all the water that you would take, it would flow, it would go and you won't be able to fill this bucket even if you try like 100 years. He said the same is with our lives also. No matter how much energy we are earning, if we are not saving it, if we are not investing it into the right place and right purpose, if we are not channelizing it, then that would be wasted. And that's what we keep doing. We have got the means to earn the energy. We earn the energy from various sources and various points. But then we waste it at the same pace also. It makes no difference if I am earning 100,000 rupees. If I am wasting 200,000 rupees a month, then 100,000 rupees would be of no use to me. But if I am only earning 30,000 rupees and I am saving 15,000 rupees, then I am able to use it for the right reason whenever it is needed. That's the idea of tapasya. Tapasya's idea is to save the energy, channelize it, not crush it to the extent that I am unable to, unable to do anything in the next month, but to save it in such a manner that I am able to use my energy uh, in the future whenever it is required. So the idea of the tapasya is to self-discipline and scriptures define various kinds of tapasya, sharirik, vachik, mansik, one that are done with the body, one that are done with the speech, one that are done with the mind. Puja Gurudev, who lived a life like you know of greatest tapasya, imagine that for 42 years of his life he was in solitude. He started his the severe most penance at the age of uh, 15 when his guru came to him the Vasant Panchmi 1926 and we would be celebrating the lighting of the eternal light that he lit at that time in 2026. And that time he started to do the most severe kind of penance that anyone could do uh, of Gayatri Mahapurusharana in which he was like you know doing the japa for seven to eight hours each day, in spite of writing innumerable number of books, in spite of working intensely in the Indian freedom movement, in spite of creating the uh, legacy of the literature that he wrote at that time. And still he was doing seven to eight hours of japa every day and only eating the sanskaritanna. Sanskaritanna means that food that we are taking, it's coming from variety of sources. And whosoever have touched it, their energy has gone into that food and that needs to be purified and that can only be purified if it has gone through one cycle of uh, metabolism and digestion. So he was offering that to the cows and when cows were actually passing those grains, he was actually taking them again, washing them, cleaning them and using that only to eat for 24 years of Gayatri Mahapurusharan that he did from the age of 15 onwards. And that kind of tapasya where he channelized his energy to the extent that whatever he said turned out to be truth. So he reached to a point that was impossible for a human being to reach. His life became so radiant that when we used to sit close to him, it was like sitting close to a rising sun. There was so much light, there is such a great aura, there was so much heat and energy emanating from him. It was like just I am sitting like in this studio where lights are there, but then it was natural uh, being close to him while you would feel like, you know, you are sitting close to a, a sun. 
and that kind of energy comes, that kind of power would come. I still remember when we were growing up and sometimes we used to touch his feet uh, every morning, every evening when coming. And sometimes it used to be so hot, like you know, you have touched a red cast iron and then he would say, no, 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 don't touch it now, touch after two minutes. And then you touch after two minutes and everything has become normal. Because that time he was meditating and his body used to become like, you know, heated like anything. So, that's the idea of tapasya. Tapasya is all the energy sources that we are getting. And there we are getting the energy sources from various points. But we are wasting them with the equal pace, not, in our, not only in our speech, but also in what we say, what we do, what we act. And they all need to be channelized. He would talk about them again, so I am not going in detail. First he says tapasya. Second he says swadhyaya. And the idea of the swadhyaya is again very interesting. Swa means self, adhyaya means study. Studying oneself through whichever mode that becomes easier. Vyas gives a very beautiful definition. He says, moksha shastra dhyanam. Studying the literature that leads to the salvation, that leads to the final freedom. Anything that can help you to reach to that state is swadhyaya. Anything, reading a book, article, magazine, scripture or yourself or talking to a person. He includes all those things that can lead one to a state of final freedom, swadhyaya. Third comes the Ishwar Pranadhan. Ishwar Pranadhan is unconditional surrender to the Divine. Sarva Kriyanam Param Guru Samarpadam. He says, everything that I do, not even a single thing, whatever is done through me, it goes to Divine. I did not do it. I only became a medium for it to happen. And not saying it, but feeling it. If I am feeling that anything that happened through me, I only became a channel for it to take place. I only became a medium for it to flow. But it just happened through me. I was only a silent observer in that given moment. And divinity chose me to do it. If I have got that kind of feeling where I feel like I am only a flute and the song is passing through me, I am not the one who is giving birth to the song, it is just actually passing through me. That kind of feeling is the feeling of Ishwar Pranidhan. And in essence, all three together, they are called Kriya Yoga. They are called Kriya Yoga and there are of course, it is one of the popular terms and many people are using it in different sense and manner. But they are sequentially placed for a very beautiful reason. Tapa has got an end product in giving you the power. You give the, you get the energy. Energy to do things. In this world, world that we see, there are two types of worlds. In Hindi we call it as Thule Jagat and Sukshma Jagat. Uh, the one that we are able to see, where things can move, things can be seen. And there are other kinds of like, you know, dimensions where you cannot see, but things are still happening. Whatever I do in this world, I need energy. You need energy, you need chemical energy, you need nuclear energy, you need dynamic energy, you need static energy, you need electromagnetic energy, whatever you do, you need energy. Without that, 
nothing can take place. You need electrical energy for electricity to travel. You need a static energy even to remain at one place. You need dynamic energy for things to move. You need mechanical energy for machines to work. You need chemical energy for chemical processes to take place. You need energy in the world that you see. But in also the world that we are unable to see also need energy. And that energy is is being born or is actually generated by the tapasya in which whatever you think, whatever you feel is turned out to be true. End product of tapasya is the power in the inner world. But that power can create havoc if it is not checked, if it is not monitored and supervised by wisdom. Even demons and evil powers have got the power. If you read the Indian Puranas, if you read the Indian mythology, all the demons that are being talked about, all the Rakshasas, all the Asuras, all the Danavas, all the Daitya, they are constantly doing tapasya. Ravana was doing tapasya, Bhasmasur was doing tapasya, all the uh, Kumbhakaran to Meghna, they all did the tapasya. They all had the power. They all were so powerful that they were able to conquer all three Lokas they became like you know the supreme most leaders because of the tapasya. So it's not like they were not doing the tapasya, they were doing the tapasya and tapasya led to the power. And this power needs to be controlled and checked by the wisdom, vivek. And that vivek having a discrimination between what is right and wrong, having that power of discernment where I can understand what is right and what is not right. That power comes from Sadhya and that's why he places it after Tap that you can have, you can have the power but it also needs to be supervised, monitored and checked by the Vivek that comes as an end product of the Sadhya. But then I can still have the ego, I can still have the uh, feeling that I am doing it. So he places the Ishwar Pranidhan as the last. He says, then you have to surrender everything to the divine. I am only an instrument for it to happen. And all these three things, he says, they are qualitatively checked by two things. One, they should be balanced. They should not be swing in this direction or in that direction. There comes a very interesting story of one of the disciples of Lord Buddha. His name was Shrotra. He was a famous prince. And in the Buddha uh, re stories related to the Lord Buddha, it is, uh, the, his story is depicted with great kind of lavishness to the extent that in one metaphor they used that he used to sleep on the seventh floor. And because one day there was a hair under the mattress on the level one, he developed a boil because he was so sensitive. He was like, you know, uh, raised in such lavish surroundings that he could not bear a smallest kind of pain. He developed a boil. And one day he heard the discourse of Lord Buddha, decided to become a monk. And immediately his life jumped from this extreme where everything was lavish, where even not a spoon he was lifting by himself. He jumped to the other extreme. He started to punish himself. Everyone would walk on the normal uh, road. He would walk in the bushes. 
everyone would eat the normal food he would not eat for days fasting upwas non stop for many days so health started to go buddha came to see him buddha said that shrotra why are you doing it he says i want to feel the balance inside i want to reach to a state of calmness samadhi samapatte he says that is fine but why are you not eating and why are you walking in the bushes he said i want to find the balance he said okay lord buddha asked him a question he said shrotra before you became a monk you were a prince he said yes lord i was he said when you were a prince and uh, that time you were a very good player of veena veena is uh, a like an indian guitar you use strings to play it so he said that uh, when you were playing veena if the strings were too tight would there be music he said no lord there won't be music he said if they are too loose what would happen he said then also there won't be music he said to have music in the veena in the musical instrument it needs to be delicately balanced and both the sides same is with the life if you are doing tapasya you cannot tight it too much you cannot loose it too much it should be delicately balanced it should be somewhere in the middle so the first thing that vyas says while giving the commentary he said it should be done to extent where it is giving chitta prasad it's only becoming pleasant to the chitta not like punishable to the chitta so when we are doing tapasya he said it should be chitta prasadan should be happy feeling to inside when you are doing the fasting it should not be that you are punishing yourself when you are doing the jap it should not be that i am forcing myself when you are doing meditation it should not be a state where i am constantly like you know asking myself and i do not even want to sit there it should be chitta prasadan it should be an enjoyable moment for the yogi and the sadhak and second he says that they all should be done together it should be done with a feeling that everything that i do i am offering it to a higher consciousness i only became a reason medium an instrument for it to happen tap swadhyay ishwar pradhanani kriya yoga the first verse he says all three together are the kriya yoga sahi kriya yoga vyasa asked the question okay fine i do it what would i get what is the purpose of doing the kriya yoga what would i get in return same question that was asked when abhyas and vairagya were described that if you do the abhyas and vairagya what would you get that time in the chapter 1 patanjali said vitarka vichar ananda smita anugamat sampragyata you get the sampragya samadhi fine what would i get now he says samadhi bhavanartha klesha tanu karanarthasya you get two things there are two things you get and actually they seem like two things but they are interrelated one it helps you to attain samadhi samadhi bhavanartha and cha means and klesh klesh tanu tanu karan means weaken it helps one to attain samadhi and it also weakens the kleshas klesh shabd came from klish in sanskrit the same word that gave birth to the klisht and aklisht if you remember in the chapter 1 
he talked about the vrittis, vrittya, panchatya, klishta, aklishta, same. So the klish word coming from klish and klish means, klish means to give trouble, to give pain, to inflict an injury, not a nice thing, but this is the purpose. It gives trouble to the chitta. Kleshas are the one which are troubling the chitta, never letting it realize its true consciousness. It's their purpose. Everything has got a purpose. Darkness has a purpose. Light has a purpose. Divinity has a purpose. Demonic nature has a purpose. And the purpose of the Klesh is to give trouble, to give pain, to give inflict injury to the chitta so that it is never able to remember what I truly am. Everything that is happening because of the Klesh. So what are Klesh doing? Klesh is giving birth to the karma. And karma we end up doing. So every karma is like a seed that is waiting to fructify. And once actually it gives to the consequences, it gives birth to the paristhiti, circumstances, then we end up doing even more karma. Because a circumstances has been created and I end up actually responding to it. So a vicious cycle has been created where I can never escape from this cycle because I end up creating more karma in response to the consequences of the karma that I have done before. Until unless the kleshas have been weakened, it would be impossible to escape this cycle. This is what the Patanjali is saying. He is saying that you need to, because these habits are long-lasting, not from one life and one encounter. They have been there for eons. They have been there for umpteen number of like lives. They have been there innumerable lives. And now they have become so strong that first they need to be weakened. They are only getting weakened, remember. They are not getting destroyed. So if you weaken them, then again you reaches to a state called Sampragya Samadhi. So they both are interlinked. They are interlinked, which means that they do two things. They weaken the kleshas and they help one to attain Samadhi. Or you can say they weaken the kleshas and that's why they help you to attain Samadhi. Because unless kleshas have been weakened, there could be no attainment of Samadhi. How can that happen? If there is like, you know, um, the room is full of dirt and dust everywhere, it would be impossible to have uh, a feeling of cleanliness here. Dust needs to go before I can feel the hygiene. Darkness needs to go before I can have the light. Suffering needs to go before I can feel the calmness and happiness and contentment inside. They cannot coexist. If kleshas are there, Samadhi cannot take place. And only if they are weakened, Samadhi can take place. And the Samadhi that takes place by weakening the Kleshas, it is Sampragyat Samadhi. Question comes naturally, what are Kleshas? What are Kleshas? Because they are again five Kleshas, Avidya, Asmita, Ragadvesh, Avinivesh, Pancha Klesha. There are five. This is the third verse. We will talk them about in the next because they all need to be discussed in together. All five kleshas, if they are studied together, then it would be easier for them to be understood. So we stop it here and uh, first two verses, I repeat, 
तपस्वाध्यायेश्वर परिधानानि क्रियायोगा क्रियायोग इस तप स्वाध्यायेश्वर परिधान। If I follow this path, what do I get? Well, I get समाधि भावनार्थ, क्लेश तनुकरणार्थश्च। Clash becomes weakened and I attain Samadhi. Samadhi we talked about in the Samadhi path a lot. But then what are Kleshas? These are the mechanisms which are underpinning the processes of giving birth to the karma. They are the pre-cursors of the karma. And uh, he will discuss their mechanism, where, who are they, what are they, how they are giving birth to the karma. How come we end up doing so much karma, even if we do not want to do them? All this is being talked about in the next uh, next discussion. So thanks for patiently listening. We end by doing the Shantipat. And then we talk in the next session about the Panchakleshas Shantipat. Om Deo Shante Shante he prithave shante rapaha shante roshadhaya shante he vanaspataya shante rvishvedeva shante brahma shante Sarvagvam shante shante reva shante sama shante redhe om shante 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 sarvarishta sushante bhavatu हमारे YouTube चैनल शांति कुंजक वीडियो गायत्री परिवार को सब्सक्राइब करें एवं बेल आइकन जरूर दबाएं ताकि गायत्री परिवार की विभिन्न गतिविधियों की जानकारी आपको मिलती रहे